Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. So over the past several weeks, uh, some of you may have been with us along our series, which has been talking about church hurt. It's called Gathering Those Driven Away. And church hurt, we discovered, is a special type of pain. It is pain that is inflicted by the church. Now, you may not hear this word a lot because it's not in our approved denominational materials. It's not a word that is spoken in many pulpits, but it is nonetheless very real. And perhaps you have heard it or cried it yourself. There are a couple of types of church hurt. And the first was one that could be a simple miscommunication, but one that could also lack genuine care and empathy. And this is when the church hurts because it does not meet our expectations as a place of welcome, as a place of healing. It does not meet our expectations as a place of love. I gave the example last time, and I think it really is the best example there is, of the timing of the tithing letter. Now, I mentioned this again today with bated breath because you all have received yours. Now, weighed these waters carefully, but it really church hurts when the only time you hear from your congregation is when they're asking you for money and they haven't reached out to help you deal with an illness or to help you grieve your loved one or celebrate a milestone or struggle with a career change. That is church hurt. And we also took up a second and perhaps, and I I think definitely, a more pernicious type of pain. This is inflicted by an ecclesial body for the furtherance of its purpose. So when we looked at this type of church hurt, we went all the way back to the Nicene Creed. We talked about Bishop Athanasius, who utilized, this is a quote, gangster tactics (laughs) to push people out, to take away their jobs, to take away their land, to elevate his interpretation of God over and above other teachers who had less power or institutional support. And so these others, more mystics, some women, monastics, They were driven away to the margins. And thus begins or continues this centuries, millennia long tradition in the Christian church of putting some people on the margins and then justifying that abuse by scripture and traditions and claiming a perfection for the institution of the church, a perfection that it does not have. 
Two Sundays ago, we then turned the gaze outward and looked more at ourselves and our participation in church hurt or how we might worship an idol instead of Jesus. Our text was Exodus 32 and the golden calf. And we took up the worship of the idol of the bourgeoisie family. Do y'all remember this? We talked about how churches build programs, how they build positions dedicated to church growth, focused on the family. How we say things like, what this church needs to survive is more young families. Hanging our salvation on the family instead of on Jesus Christ. And we took a hard look at how that approach bleeds into our real lives and hurts real people because there are preferential options for a certain, just a very certain, just a very narrow iteration of all who belong in God's people. How a church universal values marriage at all costs. If we look at the history of the presence of violence and heteronormative relationships or even the absence of love, and that the church will still, above all else, value that. And therefore, there is a devaluation of people who are single. One of the statistics I had is that 40% of Americans are single. It devalues folks who are widowed, same-sex couples. And in churches, they either, they just don't count, right? Or they're pushed out, full of sin. Now, it's been a lot, this series, Gathering Those Driven Away. It's been hard. Trust me, I know. Kind of glad it's over, to tell you the truth. It is hard to talk about the hurt caused by the church. It's hard. Both because some of our past trauma surfaces and because we see that we have participated in hurting others too. And I have to admit that I've been a little nervous each of these Sundays in the pulpit. Broadcasting hard truths as good news isn't something that's easy to do. And there were times that I wondered if it was warranted. I remember my professor from seminary, a preaching professor, saying, and it's good advice, remember, above all else, always preach good news. It's good advice. And I did wonder if lingering on the painful reality of church hurt would count as good news for us, for him. However, there were other voices in my orbit during those days and in those moments. Your encouragement and valuable feedback provided me with a sense of support and reassurance. And I don't feel alone in coming up here to surface some of the stories that I have already been told. 
to give them their day in the sun. And I will say that I am really not alone in this endeavor because Justin, James, Shanita, and I meet every week. So we all are in this too. It's not just the words that I offer here at this moment, but our vision and planning that goes into this hour that we want to highlight what is this different type of good news. But I still remember after my first Sunday on preaching about those, gathering those driven away, when I came down from the pulpit on the last, uh, at the last moment, I leaned over to Justin and put my hand over my face because we're still on live stream. And I said, I confessed, that was really hard. But Justin encouraged me, and I began to hear from you all, that talking about church hurt has a real place in the church. Here's what you all said. Yes, I'm sure you felt uncertain. I'm sure it was difficult but it is a necessary message. We need to talk about this. Some of you said, I've never heard such honesty from a pulpit before. And for that, I am grateful because it made me feel like my own experience was intentionally embraced by this community. And then one congregant, when I kind of bemoaned my unease, said, there is not a single person in that congregation who hasn't been hurt by the church. This is precisely what preachers should be addressing. This is exactly what the church needs to be doing. And it is true that our good news as Christian believers has always included hard truths, always. And while it may be uncomfortable and unsettling to confront these difficult realities, doing so in a space of hope and healing, it allows us to grow and to learn, to make positive choices. I feel like a mom there for a second. To make positive choices in our lives. Hard truths provide us with what are valuable insights and knowledge that we couldn't have gotten to otherwise that lead us to restoration and connection with all God's people. And then acknowledging the hard truths that we live out can free us from the bondage that we are in of deception or denial. That we are just good people. And it opens us to what is a door of redemption and forgiveness and of change. The Christian story, the gospel good news, has always had a witness to what is painful reality. Wendy Farley is the theologian from Berkeley that I've relied on for much of this series, and her book is called Gathering Those Driven Away. And in it, she says this, part of what is so compelling about the Gospels is that they view their story to be one of good news. And considering the conditions under which Jesus 
lived and the stories were told, that seems hard to credit. Am I right? The gospel, she reminds us, it's not the story of a power that dissolves the efficacy of might. It's not. Her description of the Palestine of Jesus' day was one ravaged by violence, full of refugees displaced by economic policy and communities destitute because of Herod, because of Rome. And she reminds us that God's countersign to the kingdoms of the world, God's countersign to the empires, it never, never gets the upper hand. It never displaces the main engines of power that govern the world. And what that means for us today is the gospel does not remove us from the violence of the world. And it doesn't neutralize the lies that it tells about us. How about this for a hard truth? Jesus, she reminds us, was impotent when the Roman Empire decided to take him down. So there is no reason for us as Christians to shy away from speaking the hard truths of living in God's world. Because in the good news, there is something else that is present too. The countersign to the empire still exists. The most powerful point, the ultimate reality, the greatest of all things. Did you hear it from our passage today, one that is well known? The disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And out of all the verses in the Bible's Torah, in the first five books, Jesus answers the Pharisees' questions with a line from Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your life and with all your mind. And then Jesus goes on to cite Leviticus, saying another is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in Matthew, Jesus doesn't come up with this idea. It's already an understanding that is well known. It's taken from other scribes and learners. It's taken from the Hebrew Bible. It would have been known by rabbis and synagogue and sages who lived during Jesus' time. There are in other instances of people quoting those verses and saying this is the main thing. In the Talmud, Rabbi Akiva, who was born about 50 years before Jesus, says that the Levitical command to love your neighbor as yourself is the great principle of the Torah. And there is a famous story preserved in the Babylonian Talmud from around 600 CE, stating that the renowned first century sage Hillel once paraphrased Leviticus, saying, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is all the Torah. The rest is commentary. 
go study. So in Matthew, Jesus couples the same verse, those verses together, and asserts on these two commandments, hang all the Torah and the prophets. Whatever the details are, the holy ones preach. Whatever the empires say, the teachers teach. The greatest of all, the greatest of all is love. That's why we get good news with hard truths. Because the gospel asks us to participate in Jesus' strange, crazy, wild idea of a divine kingdom based on love. And yet, does not ask us to leave the kingdom of this world. We don't trade one for the other. There is unimaginable pain and impossible hope riding in the same story. There is incredible church hurt and life-giving church hope coming from the same place, too. Wendy Farley again says, Rome ended Jesus' life but became impotent in ending his story. Jesus suffered defeat at the hands of Rome, but the news of some other kingdom, a kingdom centered on love, it was not silenced. The defeat was predictable, but the persistence of this whisper was not, is not, the good news does not displace the reality and the power of the empire. And we know this. The good news does not displace the reality of hate, of discrimination, of evil and death. But it persists in acts of love and whispers of hope in the divine encounter of God's great glory. So I've been wanting to end the series with this story for some time. So here you go. It's a story that I've been wanting to tell since I saw it in the Theo Ed talks from Orlando in Florida. I've mentioned Theo Ed to some of you all before. It brings together leading thinkers in the church world and in the academy to give the 20-minute talk of their lives. Yes, it's based on TED Talks. And there have been some big-name theologians giving Theoed talks, Diana Butler-Bass, Brian McLaren, Will Gaffney. But more, each time there's a Theoed event, and they are all over, each time there is a local leader that will also offer a talk. Sometimes it's a graduate student who's submitted a paper that's been judged and they've been offered a spot. Sometimes it's a local professor that has written a book that is compelling but maybe hasn't hit the best times seller list. New York Times bestseller list. And I have found that those local talks, they are often my favorite. They're personal, they're well-crafted, 
It's like folks are ready to get on this platform. In fact, our supper series speaker, Jen Carlier, has a Theoed talk called Finding God in the Basement from a more recent Theoed series in Atlanta. And it's where I first heard her thoughts on theology of addiction. In the most recent series, it was held in Orlando, Florida. And so you may have already guessed this, but the local celebrities had something to do with Disney. It was Cliff and Clay Price. They are twins and creative directors in the Disney world, traveled all over internationally, uh, bringing together wonderful artistic productions. They were members of the local church where Theoad talks were held. And with all their impressive accomplishments, uh, people really wanted to hear from them about growing up in rural Georgia as gay men. Their talk was titled, Growing Up Different in a Small Town. And they shared their journey of growing up gay and Southern Baptist below the nat line in Georgia. And everything you may be thinking about growing up Southern Baptist and gay in rural Georgia happened to them, everything bad that is. Their history is full of church hurt. They weren't affirmed. They weren't allowed to speak up. They felt very alone with themselves in that town, not even sharing to each other their identities that were becoming until they left the church and the place. But at the end of the talk, Cliff reminded us of something very powerful indeed, something that puts us in our place as far as church hurt goes, some good news amidst the hard truths. And here it is. As close-minded as that church we grew up in was, It also taught us to love. That's God. That's Jesus. That's his teachings. It's not the congregation. It's the message. And luckily, that part resonated with us more than anything. And the teachings of Jesus are love. To God be the glory, time without end. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.